0: Good morning, and may it please the court, counsel. My name is John Donovan. I'm an assistant state public defender, and I represent the appellant in this case, Durante Rogers, Jr. Minnesota law provides that a person is guilty of first-degree burglary. If he commits a burglary and, at any time when entering or while inside the building, he possesses an article used or fashioned in a manner to lead the victim to reasonably believe it to be a dangerous weapon. At this point, there's no dispute between the parties that Mr. Rogers committed a burglary, that he possessed a BB gun while inside the building, and that the building was empty when he was inside. The sole issue before this court is therefore what facts are necessary for a first-degree burglary conviction under this language.
1: And counsel, it looks to me like the parties agree the issue here is not the word used. Correct. We are talking about an article fashioned. And it looks to me like there's an agreement between the parties on the meaning of the word fashioned.
0: I think that would also be true, Your Honor.
1: And your client is not contending that the fashioned element, fashioned in and of itself, was not met. It's the subsequent words in a manner to lead the victim. Those are the words at issue here.
0: To lead the victim, to reasonably believe it to be a dangerous weapon.
1: Okay, thank you. You're
0: welcome. So Mr. Rogers would ask this court to hold that whether this language is plain or ambiguous, a conviction under the statutory language requires that the victim be present, perceive the article, and subjectively believe that it is a dangerous weapon. The district court, the Court of Appeals, and the state have all offered interpretations of this statute that suffer from the same flaw in different ways. All of these interpretations fail to consider all of the words in this provision, how these words relate to each other, and what these specific words mean. For the district court, it overlooked the meaning of the word the victim. When the district court was considering this, it determined that Mr. Rogers was guilty because another person could have believed that this BB gun was a dangerous weapon. And the officers who responded thought that this BB gun was an actual dangerous weapon. But the statute is only concerned about one person, the victim.
2: Council, can I ask you about, um, so if we agree with you that the victim has to be present uh, under paragraph B of the statute, um, aren't we almost doing away with paragraph B in the sense that using a weapon on someone, when is it not going to be an assault under paragraph C? So I mean, is, isn't there? Shouldn't we be concerned there that we're effectively nullifying one of the provisions of the statute because the behavior is going to always be covered under C anyway?
0: Not necessarily, because what we're looking at with an assault is what the defendant's intent is. Do they have that specific intent to cause the victim to fear immediate or great, or sorry, immediate bodily harm or death? So. That element of what the defendant is intending would go away with Mr. Rogers' reading of the statute. Instead, we wouldn't worry about what he was intending, because there is no language in there about what his intent is.
2: So paragraph C is about the defendant's intent. Paragraph C
0: is about the victim's perception. Paragraph B is about the the victim's perception. And so taking the
2: counsel, looking at that statute, it says the burglar possesses when entering the building Um, a dangerous weapon, comma, so if you just stop there, what part about that sentence
0: requires a victim's presence? That sentence would not require the victim's presence. Just a dangerous weapon does not require a victim's presence.
2: And do you agree that also um, in possession of an explosive does not require the presence of a victim? Yes. So then doesn't that lead in opposition of your argument? Why Why would this one provision of the statute have two parts of it be where there doesn't have to be a victim, and then one part of it be where there has to be an actual victim present, rather than the objective view?
0: Two reasons, Your Honor. The first being what the part about a dangerous weapon and an explosive show us is that if the legislator just wants to base this on mere possession of the article, it knows how to do that. It could have just simply said, the burglar possesses an article fashioned as a dangerous weapon. But there's a lot of words between fashioned and dangerous weapon that need to be interpreted in the statute. And those words about the victim and reasonably believe are where we get that idea that the victim has to be present and perceive this. And the second reason is that B and C specifically are very much concerned, and A as well, but to a lesser degree, are concerned about two situations terrorizing people and inherently dangerous situations. As this court noted in Garcia Gutierrez, it's an inherently dangerous situation when you have a firearm in a building, regardless of whether or not someone else is there. And I think we could all probably agree the same is true with an explosive. That's inherently dangerous. That can still go off and hurt anyone. But in this case, where there's no one there, but you have something that's not inherently dangerous, because it's not a dangerous weapon, There's no real risk and and no harm that it's being tied to. You're not terrorizing anyone, and you're not creating that inherently dangerous situation. So without tying it to something else, this is also a provision that's punished more severely than A. B is a severity level 8. I believe A is a severity level 6. So we need to tie it back to some reason for treating this in a more severe way. And I think that the most logical way interpreting this language is going to be because you've terrorized someone. You have caused someone fear that you have a gun to complete this burglary. And that is why we're going to treat this more severely than just when someone else is present if they don't see it. The other part that's really going to imply that the victim's presence is necessary here is also going to be this language of reasonably believe. This is, I think, where the Court of Appeals went wrong, was it was trying to just isolate the word reasonable and say reasonable is objective. Someone just has to objectively think that this is a dangerous weapon. But it's not just sitting alone. It's reasonably believe. And it's tied to someone specific here. It's tied to the victim. So we're considering who is the specific person harmed and what they reasonably believe. Reasonable belief means in this situation that you believe a given fact under circumstances in which a reasonable person would believe. So we still have that objective standard of the fact finder determining that the victim's belief was reasonable, but that needs to be a judgment on that subjective belief that the victim has the victim has this belief, they actually believe this is a dangerous weapon, and the fact finder later determines that this belief was
3: reasonable. So this language was basically just picked up from the criminal sexual conduct statute, right? They just grabbed the language from the criminal sexual conduct statute and put it in this statute. Yes. And in the criminal sexual conduct statute, it's kind of, it has to, the person has to be armed with a dangerous weapon, you know, using this language to kind of describe the type of weapon and then goes on to say, and you have to use it or threaten it. So there's kind of two elements in in the criminal sexual conduct. And it seems the language that was picked up for here is more in the nature of descriptive language of the type of article. And then you have to use that type of article in this criminal sexual conduct to to do something. Mm -hmm. So why shouldn't we just read this in the same way as this is just describing the kind of article uh, that, just describing a type of article instead of, it seems like you're reading a lot into the words when the legislature was just kind of grabbing language and putting it in to describe a particular kind of article, if that makes sense.
0: It does. I think there are two issues with, with that. One is that other language that's in the criminal sexual conduct statutes. That's another element of the offense. I'm not asking to add an element here, just to read this language by itself as an element.
3: But the element is just to describe the type of thing.
0: To describe the type of thing, But if we were to add that sort of criminal sexual conduct language, I think the the problem with that language is it tends to read out what was here, an article fashioned. Because in that case, fashioned would sort of fall away, because they would have to use that. So then what are we going to do with fashioned and use or fashioned? We run into creating almost surplusage in the statute if they're going to mean the same things. So with this, without that additional element, what we're looking at is he has the article. He's not using the article, but the victim still perceives it. The victim still thinks that it is a dangerous weapon. So it's not adding that element that's present in the criminal sexual conduct statute.
2: Well, and if the legislature were intending to capture um, the situation posed by Justice Thiessen, wouldn't they have said a person or a victim instead of the victim? I mean, that's that's sort of what the district court was was getting at, but it it act, the district court's order actually says a person. It doesn't track the language of the statute. I guess what I'm suggesting is I think there's a difference between a person and the victim.
0: I I would agree absolutely, Your Honor, and I think it's not even just a victim, the victim, it, which is not the language here starts to maybe open it up to a hypothetical, but when they put the word the in front of it, they're res- referring to a specific person. And in this case, that's going to be Ms. Terry's or her children. So that, I that. just need to go that.
2: back for one minute on the on the facts of this case. I meant to ask you this at the very beginning. There's no issue in this, there's no argument in this case that the statute's not met because um, your client didn't have the BB gun when he was in the house.
0: Not at this point, okay. no.
4: Well, it seems to me the choice of the is particularly significant when the legislature in subdivision 1A used another person um, and a person in, in um, Clause C. I mean, it certainly knew how to, how to say somebody other than the victim when it wanted to.
0: I agree. I think that when you read A, B, and C together, you're even creating three different classes of people. A is anyone who's not an accomplice who's present in the building. Under the language of C, it's a person, I think that in theory, without the limiting language of A, you could technically assault an accomplice while you are in the building committing a burglary and probably be guilty under C. But in B, it's limited even more. It is the victim. So it doesn't even matter if an accomplice is the person who says, whoa, I thought that was a real gun. They don't count in this case. It's the victim who has to perceive this article and subjectively believe that this article is a dangerous weapon. So looking back, as Justice Teesson was talking about, taking this language from the criminal sexual conduct statutes, when we look at the intent behind this statute, this is a situation where we know what was going on and the reason behind the statute why this law was enacted. This law was enacted because people were concerned about terrorizing victims with things that weren't dangerous weapons but looked that way. In some of the newspaper articles, they talk about how the terror associated in a victim when they have a fake gun pointed at their head is just as real as if it's an actual gun. So we're looking at
3: specific people here. But once and- when, when you accomplish that same intent and, in fact, accomplish it even more, If you didn't require the victim to be there, so you're putting in something in law that says, just in case there's someone there, like with a dangerous weapon or with an explosive, just in case there's someone there that could be terrorized by this fake gun, aren't you actually, wouldn't the legislature actually be doing more to prevent it if we adopt the state's interpretation of this, that you don't need the victim to actually be present? Not necessarily, because then who's terrorized? Then who? who's the- But pro- you're just trying to prevent the potential that someone could be terrorized, mm-hmm. just like you would be with a dangerous weapon. So it seems to me you're almost, if the intent, if the purpose of the legislature was to keep people from being terrorized, the best way to do that is to say, just never use one of these things, whether someone there is not in this particular case. <laughs>
0: But again, if that was what the legislature was seeking to do, it knows how to do it. It would have, again, used that same language for dangerous weapon, for explosive. Just looking at the bill that was enacted versus bills that were enacted in other states, if it was really just concerned about we need to prevent all of this, California was just banning the sale of these. They wanted to take them away so that that possibility and hypothetical would be removed. Minnesota decided not to do that. It just added this to robbery. It added it to burglary. And it created a new crime of committing a terroristic threat by terrorizing someone when you have this replica weapon.
4: Counsel, but this little phrase is not limited to replica weapons, right? It could be any article that somebody, a burglar, found in a house and decided to, to use in a threatening manner, right?
0: In theory, as long as it's something, not necessarily using it in a threatening manner. You have to be using it, to, to use that word, in a manner that's leading the victim to think it is a dangerous weapon.
3: But you, you can't just find something in a room under this statute because they have to possess it when you enter it or any time, I guess, in the time of the yeah. building.
4: But okay. so you find a baseball bat, for example. A
0: baseball bat, a baseball bat might fall under dangerous weapon. You could find a, a stick and put a stick in your pocket and say, hey, look at this. You know, This is a gun. Go in the other room. So you could just find something there, yes, and then be terrorizing the person while you're there.
2: Council, when does the fashioning have to take place? Does the fashioning have to take place when you're inside the building you're burglarizing, or can you fashion something before and then and then bring it in?
0: I think it's irrelevant when the article is fashioned. If we're concerned about when it's fashioned, I think that in that case, we then would have a question of, did Mr. Rogers even fashion this, or did the Daisy BB gun? So the temporal element of when it is fashioned, I don't think matters. The temporal element is, when does the victim believe that this is a dangerous weapon. So I don't think the timing of just using fashion. But it so could
2: fast. be either, I guess, is what you're saying. Yes. And in this case, it doesn't, that's not disputed.
0: No, I think the danger of saying that the fashioned part has to happen before is then if we're going to interpret the used language later on, You have to say, well, does that mean that it was used in a manner for the victim? Think it? It just would make no sense if it all has to be before. So the time when it is fashioned is also irrelevant. The only thing that matters is that the victim is there and in that moment at some point believes that that is a dangerous weapon and that that belief is later objectively accepted by a fact finder.
4: Council, if we're talking about a replica weapon, then it does make sense to distinguish that between a real firearm or a real explosive, because they're not dangerous inherently.
0: Correct. That was one of the concerns about firearms in Garcia Gutierrez, was that there's a chance that this gun can go off. In this case, when you have something that's not a dangerous weapon, that inherent danger in it there's no risk that it's going to go off and harm someone. There's only the risk that you're going to terrorize someone by having them think that it is a dangerous weapon. I think at this point, if the panel has no further questions, I would sit down.
2: Thank you, counsel. You have 10 minutes for rebuttal. Mr. Everson.
5: May it please the court, counsel. My name is Michael Everson. I represent the respondent, State of Minnesota. This case is about a statutory provision that takes what already is criminal conduct, the commission of a burglary, and aggravates it to a first degree in one of three circumstances. Either the burglary occurs in an occupied dwelling, the burglar commits an assault, or as relevant to the appeal here, the burglar possesses a particular type of item that heightens the risk associated with the crime. And what those items are, they include a dangerous weapon, an explosive, or any article used or fashioned in a manner to lead the victim to reasonably believe it to be a dangerous weapon. Now, the language of this statute is unambiguous in stating that the conduct that is Prohibited is the possession of the specified type of article, and that everything in the statute, including an after, used or fashioned in a manner, is simply describing the nature or quality of the article that the burglar must possess.
6: Why doesn't the victim have to be there? I'm I'm but, sorry to hear. Said why? Do I understand the state's argument to be that the that? Um, the victim doesn't have to be there? Correct. And, and I'm having trouble with that because the statute does talk about the victim, and I'm just wondering if you can walk me through why the victim doesn't have to be present. Absolutely. The The simple answer to that
5: is because the statute doesn't say so. And the reason the statute doesn't say so is when, when you look at the word the victim in the context here.
6: Uh, let's start right there because okay. it seems to me that the plain language of the statute suggests the the victim has to, you know, be threatened. The victim here can't be threatened. The victim's not there. Uh, so what, how do we deal with that? And I think that's the argument that opposing counsel is making. How do you deal with that?
5: Correct. What the language is talking about, what the, the statutory language uses the infinitive to lead rather than a progressive verb such as leading or causing. And when we use an infinitive to lead, what we are talking about there is, the use of an infinitive indicates that the result does not need to occur; that it's more about could this happen? Was council? This?
2: How can you use something on the victim if the victim isn't
5: there? You, you, you probably can't. I cannot think of any hypothetical. So, word. for the for the
2: use part of the clause, then the victim has to be present.
5: I would agree with that. Yes.
2: So why? But it, the words are the same. I mean, used or fashioned in a manner, etc, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. So if the inner manner, everything that follows after in a manner, requires the victim to be present when it's used, how can we interpret
5: it differently for when it's fashioned? Well, I, I don't think you're going to be interpreting the language any differently, just as it, just as a, a practical matter, a victim has to be there for the object to be used upon the victim, but the victim does not have to be there for the object to be fashioned in the specified manner. Consider an example. If I say, I take this pen and I say, this article was fashioned in a manner to lead the victim to reasonably believe it to be a dangerous weapon. What I am saying is that is how the article has been fashioned. I am not saying that that result has been achieved and this kind of goes back to the point that we are talking about, the use of the word fashioned in the past tense. That indicates that the fashioning occurred at some point before it is used or before the victim, I think you all understand what I'm trying to say.
1: Um, So council, is there um, there some hidden or silent adjective before the word victim? Can it be um, actual or intended or apparent victim? Is that what you're saying? It- Hypothetical victim?
5: What I'm saying is when we perform the hypothetical test, we are asking would the burglary victim, would a person who's lawfully in the building that was burglarized, was it fashioned in a manner to lead that person? And again,
1: the burglar, including, may or may an, not, including an imaginary person, including
5: yes, I mean, when a person enters a building to burglarize the building, they may or may not know whether the victim is going to be there. So,
1: so, essentially, I think you're saying that the word "the victim," the phrase "the victim," is ambiguous. It can mean it could no. could be limited to mean a real person who's actually there, or it could be a person who likely is going to be there, or it could be a person who. Uh, in the imagination could be there
5: it's describing the per it's describing either a real or hypothetical burglary victim and I, I i don't think that's ambiguous i think that is a clear indication of what the legislature what the statute is contemplating in, in fact the
6: state's so argument has consistently been that this is a plain language case right? correct yeah.
5: i, I you know, with, with that, I, I I do think we we win even if it's un if, even if it is ambiguous. But the state does believe this is an unambiguous statute. Again, it uses the infinitive to lead. It talks about used or fashioned, and it seems to me if used requires the victim to be there and for it to actually this article to be used upon the victim. Why do we have the word? fashioned
3: in there what well, why do you think that the the word used requires a victim to be there isn't it in the same way that you once you from your perspective once you say if it's fashion i mean if you're you're just saying this is a descriptive kind of language and so any article that could be used or fashioned so that someone could perceive it in that way would qualify under this correct this circumstance so Correct. So are you, so I want to just get clarification on the, the chief's question. Are you requiring, I mean, do you think that used means that the victim actually has to be there?
5: What I intended to say was as a practical matter, the victim's virtually always going to be there. We could come up with a, you know, very bizarre hypothetical where a victim's not there. Let's, let's take, for example, I enter.
3: Well, what if someone were to go in brandishing a fake gun? So you're using it in a manner that could lead a victim, but there's no person there. That would qualify under the statute, right, under your interpretation?
5: Yes, under, I guess, under both the used and the fashioned. Um, The example I was thinking of, I, I walk into a building, I see a stick, I think somebody's in the building, so I, I, I take the stick. It hasn't been fashioned in a manner to lead the victim to reasonably be a dangerous weapon, but I start to swing the stick like it's a sword or something. I guess that that could qualify as used. Again, as a practical matter, I don't think that's going to happen. I think in virtually all cases, the used is going to apply if the victim is there and it's actually used uh, the victim. And in this case, we have an article. We have a fake BB gun that looks identical to a real gun. You can look at Exhibit 6. You'll see it looks just like a real gun. That is an article that has been fashioned in the specified manner.
2: When, when, the, when the fashioning goes on, does the defendant have to have um, a specific victim in mind? When no,
5: no again like the conduct that is prohibited here is the possession so what we look at is does the defendant possess this object and then we ask ourselves, is this an object that has been fashioned in a manner to lead the victim to reasonably believe it
1: counsel doesn't that mean then that you're taking the word the in connection with the phrase the victim and and essentially interpreting "the" to mean a potential
5: the victim, or the potential victim, or actual victim of this particular burglary.
1: So, and that's that's not. Am, I mean, the phrase "the victim" is not at least ambiguous. The no, I don't believe
5: it is. I think both both counsel and I would agree. The victim in this case. Well, you refers, agree. It's,
1: you both agree it's unambiguous for your respective sides. Correct. <laughs>
5: And I think we would both agree the victim here refers to the persons who resided in this home, Ms. Terrace and her two children.
1: So what about a commercial building? Let's say the burglar thinks I've scoped this thing out. I don't think there's anyone in there, but uh, but abundance of caution. I'm going to take my finely crafted replica gun and just make sure I've got it on me in case I run into somebody. So, in a commercial context, who's the victim? You know, the the victim could be anybody lawfully
5: in the building. It could be the corporate entity. How
1: about about there's somebody in the building unlawfully squatting, homeless person, and you come into the building and display your replica weapon, and the homeless person is terrified. Is that first-degree burglary?
5: Yes, because, again, the focus is... Does the person possess the article in a manner to lead the victim, and whether the squatter is the victim or some, so it could some be other person, lawfully pers-
1: or unlawfully in the building? You're now expanding your your definition. No, I, I I think the the focus
5: there would be the victim, people who are or could lawfully be in this building. Because again, it doesn't matter if the victim is in the building or not. The focus is, does this article meet the statutory definition of an article fashioned in a manner to lead the victim to reasonably believe it to be a dangerous weapon and i think what's really significant in this case again is the the, the statute's use of the term to lead rather than a progressive verb like leading or causing so the statute doesn't say uh, fashioned in a manner leading the victim to reasonably believe it to be a dangerous weapon. In that circumstance, obviously the result would need to occur.
3: Say, or caus- say this is ambiguous. Just Let's just assume that they have a reasonable interpretation that the victim has to be there. You have a reasonable interpretation that this is a descriptive, and you're reading the whole sentence as one instead of picking out individual words. That also seems to be part of your argument. But say it's ambiguous. If it is, why should you win? What is it about the purpose, legislative history, et cetera?
5: Absolutely. The the legislative history, as well as just uh, simply the, the language of this statute, reflect a policy to enhance what is otherwise criminal conduct to a first degree if a person possesses a particular type of object that by its nature increases the risk or danger. And we know the most effective way to address mimicked or replica weapons is to prohibit their possession during the commission of a crime. And I stress that we're not talking about somebody possessing an innocent, or we're not talking about a person not engaging in criminal conduct who is suddenly guilty of a crime because they happen to possess this type of article. We are talking about a person who is in the midst of committing a crime, and they have an article that has been fashioned in a manner that substantially increases the danger of that crime. Because, again, the burglary victim could come home at any time. Anything could happen. Council, if
2: I may, I want you to go back to, um, you were saying, I think in answer to Justice Thiessen, that if the phrase were leading as opposed to to lead, that, well, you were attaching some significance to that, and frankly, I, I just don't see the significance to it, so run that by me again, why you think that would be
6: significant.
5: Absolutely. To lead is an infinitive, and grammar rules say that an infinitive indicates that the result does not need to occur. It is something that, that could happen. It refers to expectations. It does not refer to a particular result having occurred. So, if, if, if the statute had used a progressive verb such as "leading," that expresses an action that is is in progress, that is occurring. Whereas an infinitive like "to lead" refers to uh, you know it, it, it indicates a result that is not yet occurred. You a you but
2: honestly think the legislature was parsing it that finely?
5: I think that this court.
4: Or that defendants would know about or that these, these rules of grammar.
5: Uh, this court applies rules of grammar, and this is a a standard rule of grammar. I cite a law review article in in my brief that that talks about all these rules. The law review article cites to the Chicago Manual of Grammar. I think I got that correct, uh, which is sort of a, you know your your standard bearer. And these are established grammar principles that apply when courts
3: interpret statutes. Is there any principle that we, that would apply? You know, again, I keep coming back to the fact that this whole, or this it's not a sentence, but the words from any article used through the words dangerous weapon, with one change, they changed the word, the complainant to the victim, was just taken out of criminal sexual conduct statute to describe a particular type of article, and placed in this. So, is there any rule that would tell us we should just not kind of parse the words, but just look at the purpose of the whole phrase? Because what the legislature was doing at that time was just kind of taking the whole phrase, and so we should take the legislator at its at its word at that. Well,
5: I I, that makes sense. I can't come up with the name of a particular doctrine, but I think the the ba- the basic principle would be. We know that the legislature knows how to express when the article needs to be used in a particular manner, when when it it actually needs to be used upon the victim to cause the victim fear, or in the case of criminal sexual conduct to submit. That's not part of the burglary statute. All the legislature did was pull sort of what, what, what I would call the definition of the article from criminal sexual conduct and put it in the burglary statute.
3: Yeah, it's almost like it's a technical phrase. Correct. Because the I, legislature I has used it in that way and passed. Correct. I mean, what
4: the oh. We're only we would only look at that if we get to whether this is ambiguous.
3: Well That's no well, if it's a technical well. phrase we'd look at that before. Mm-hmm. That would help us define what that means. I mean technical phrases come before in the plain language analysis.
4: But I think you'd have to find that it's a technical language on its face. You can't go looking for another statute. Like, that's more in peri materia than, than just a plain reading of the statute would be my I, guess.
5: I think that's correct. Although, um, you know, at, the, at, at this point, I think we're sort of in, in both worlds. Although the, the, the state definitely thinks the statute's unambiguous, I will uh, address Justice Deason's Point in the event that the court does find it ambiguous.
4: And, and that was what the point I was trying to make, that that's only a point you get to if, if we find that the statute first is ambiguous.
5: Correct, correct. And so if the court were to make that determination, I, I think when we look at what language did the legislature pull from the criminal sexual conduct statute and bring over to the burglary statute, it's clear that it's a phrase that is used to describe the nature or quality of the object that the person or the, the burglar must possess.
3: Just, I'm just trying to, th- I want to, but when we talk about terms of art or technical phrases, we actually do look to things outside the, the statute, including how it's been used in other statutes in case law to define that term from a plain language kind of perspective, right? I mean, you don't have to concede that.
5: That, you know, that that may or may not be the case. Um, off the top of my head, I, I'm not sure. I, I do know that a court can look at, if there is a, a technical meaning of a word, they can, can certainly look at that. I, I'm not sure if that translates into looking at another statute to see how it was used in, in, in that statute outside of the context of defining a word.
4: And of course, you've never made the argument below or here that this is a technical term.
5: No, I don't think it's a technical term in the 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 sense of how an an agency or how, you know, the scientific community would would use it. I do think though that it is a term that the legislature uses and this is plain on the face of the burglary statute that it uses when it's describing the type of article that the burglar must possess. And again, I keep keep going back to this point. The conduct that is prohibited under the statute is the possession of this type of object, not not the use of this object in a particular manner, not um, any particular result on the victim. It's the possession, and that is the focus. Now, I do want to say one more word with respect to the canons of construction in the event that the court were to find ambiguity. If you look at subdivision 1B, with subdivision 1B, it says that you are guilty if you have a dangerous weapon regardless of whether the victim is present. Subdivision 1B says you are guilty if you have an explosive regardless of whether the victim is present. It's logical that since what the legislature is going after in subdivision 1B is the possession of an inherent you know, an object that increases the inherent danger of the burglary, that the focus for the replica or mimic dangerous weapon would also be possession and not some result. And what appellant is essentially asking the court to do, and this goes both to the unambiguous as well as the ambiguous argument. What appellant is essentially asking this court to do is read additional elements into this statute that are absent from the statutory text. There is nothing in the statute that says the victim must be present. There's nothing in the statute that says the victim must perceive the article, nor is there anything in the statute about the victim must subjectively fear The statute. An appellant is inviting this court to read those additional elements into the statute that are absent from the statutory text. So, to sum, the rule that the state is asking this court to adopt is that a person, and this is consistent with what the Court of Appeals said, that a person is guilty if an article's appearance would support an objective belief by the burglary victim that the article is a dangerous weapon. This is an objective test. It's not a test that depends upon the victim being there perceiving or subjectively fearing the object. And unless there are any other questions, the state would waive the remainder of its time.
1: I have uh, one last question for you. Let's say the burglar knows beyond a reasonable doubt there's no one in the building but takes a replica weapon into the building so that when he exits the building, if he encounters anyone after the burglary is complete, then he can use that to threaten or intimidate. Is, is the mere possession of the replica weapon within the building, when there's absolutely no question whatsoever, there's no one in there, there's going to be no one in there, is, is that still first-degree burglary?
5: Yes. Why? Because this statute and the statutory language does not let you know for certain, no one's going to be in the building that nobody's going to come into the building. What the statutory language says is if you enter a building and you are possessing a replica weapon, that that is first degree burglary because we never know when somebody is going to come. Now, I, understand your hypothetical might present some unique facts, but this statutory language does not allow for consideration of those unique facts because, again, we can never say with 100% certainty there's not going to be a person in there, which is precisely why the legislature prohibits the possession during a burglary. And I, 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 I know I said I was going to waive the... Re- remainder of my time, but I just remembered two other points that that I did want to make. I just wanted to remind the court uh, that there is a second-degree burglary count here. So in the event that the court were to reverse the first degree, uh, we would ask that you remand for sentencing on the second degree, although we certainly don't think that is the appropriate outcome. We just want to remind you. And also, I would note that this case does not revolve around whether this BB gun is a dangerous weapon. And the Court of Appeals made the point to say that, that that is not an issue that was before them, and I would just remind this court that that's not an issue before you, because although the, the district court made a factual finding that the BB gun was not a dangerous weapon, I think uh, in, in in future cases that, that is an issue that can be be litigated, and the state would just ask that this court make it clear that that is not an issue that is being decided in this case. Unless there are any questions, the state would ask that this court affirm Mr. Rogers' conviction. Thank you.
2: Thank you, counsel. Uh, Mr. Donovan, you have 10 minutes for rebuttal.
0: Thank you, Your Honors. I have four brief points to make on rebuttal. First, Justice Hudson, I would agree that uh, I do not think that the legislature was parsing the language so closely to consider that this is an infinitive. Even though it is an infinitive, I don't think that that can carry the day for the state because while an infinitive can suggest what someone's intent is, it also can suggest what a result is. And that can be ambiguous when you just consider the infinitive alone. If I say, I walked in my apartment to see you on the couch, that statement, it's unclear if my purpose in walking in my apartment was to see you on the couch or if the result of my walking into the apartment was seeing you on the couch. And without a word like in order to, to suggest an intention or only to, to suggest a result, it can be unclear whether or not that infinitive is being used for purpose or for results. So we have to look at the other words here. Secondly, uh, Justice Lillahog to your hypothetical about a commercial building, I think that if there was someone in that building who saw that article that the burglar had and subjectively believed it was a dangerous weapon, I think, yes, in that case, it probably would be a first-degree burglary, because we're looking at the victim. So if that is a person who came into court and said, I thought it was a gun, I was terrorized, by the meaning of the word victim, it can be someone who's harmed. So the state could probably argue, oh, this person was harmed, so we get there that way. But we still need that actual person, the victim, someone specific, someone who is harmed by the burglary itself or that underlying crime.
1: And in that regard, counsel, um, if we determine that some part of the statute is ambiguous, we can look to the extrinsic canons. And one extrinsic canon is in Peri materia, and maybe especially apt here because the legislature Borrowed from the criminal sexual conduct in the first degree statute. Now, in that statute, um, it's pretty clear that there has to be a real person. It has to be the complainant. Because if once somebody complains, then they're a real person and they complain. Mm-hmm. But in this case, the legislature seems to have changed that phrase to make it the victim. Is, is it possible that could be a, a real or hypothetical victim? No. It it still has to be a
0: real victim. Um, Within the the criminal sexual conduct statutes, I think there's sort of a presumption here that it is the person who then had that article used or threatened to use against
1: them. It's that person. That's the the question. Sure. Not the presumption. It's the question. Correct. Um, Why why should we uh, conclude that the legislature didn't have in mind a hypothetical victim? Mm -hmm. that somebody maybe the burglar thought was going to be home and had the replica weapon intended to terrorize that person, they just by happenstance don't happen to be there. Why should it then be second degree rather than first degree based on that happenstance?
0: because no one was actually terrorized in that instance. No one was actually made to feel afraid by this replica weapon to well, justify the same,
1: same is true of dangerous weapon or the same is true of explosive. If the person isn't there to be terrorized by the dangerous weapon or explosive, um, it doesn't make any difference, does it?
0: it? It does make a difference because even if no one is there with those actual dangerous articles, they're inherently dangerous. Those can still harm people, regardless of whether or not the victims of the offense are. And the
1: replica weapon isn't inherently terrorizing?
0: It might be inherently terrorizing, but it's not inherently dangerous. It's not creating an inherent risk of actual danger to anyone who is present. There's no chance that a replica weapon can go off and go through a wall and hit someone down the block in another house, because it's not not a gun. It can't do that. The other difference in language is also there could be more than one person. If in that commercial building example, there's a teller uh, working behind a counter who doesn't see anything but a client who does and thinks that it's a weapon and they maybe get scared. If that person, that customer, doesn't complain, are they then the complainant? So we have the victim, so it can be anyone who's harmed by the burglary or the underlying crime. Um, and also, just briefly touching on the idea of pari materia and Justice Thiessen's idea that maybe this is technical language, I think we. If it were a technical language, you probably could use it to determine if the statute is ambiguous. The problem is this language has never been interpreted before. So it hasn't necessarily achieved a special meaning that can be applied to this case. This is the first time this court is being asked to apply it. Finally, just the state's notion that the intent here was to just criminalize any possession of a replica weapon when you're committing a crime. If they want to just criminalize possession when you're committing a crime, again, this is another thing the legislature knows how to do. It can create a special sentencing provision in 609-11 that say if you commit any of these crimes of violence or these things with an article fashioned like a dangerous weapon, then we would have that elevated penalty. But they chose some specific crimes And they wanted to look out for those victims who would be terrorized by this replica weapon. So if there are no other questions, we would ask that you reverse Mr. Rogers' conviction for first-degree burglary.
2: Thank you, counsel. Thanks to both counsel for the help that you provided to the court. In this case, this matter is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course. We're in recess.